Oh, good morning, everyone. It's the 3rd of July. Apparently, I've been retired for three days officially. Bit of a weird feeling. I don't really know what life holds other than towing a caravan round. That's a whole new experience, too. Anyway, we trust God in all things. I want to talk to you about a subject that might seem a little bit devoid from where David was last week, but I, th I want to make a, an important connection. You know, most people want to be blessed. And if you, if you ask someone, even if they weren't Christian, do you want to be blessed? The answer generally is, yeah, 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 sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. I want to tell you a little story, and this goes way back to 1991. And I was in the church service, and the pastor stood up on the Sunday morning and he said, who here today wants to be blessed? And of course, enthusiastically and full of hunger, the people responded, yes! Now some of you were there probably. And then the pastor said, children are a blessing from the Lord. Suddenly, there was a great withdrawal of enthusiasm. But what does the scripture say? See, the problem is we have human preference and a lot of the time a human preference doesn't line up with what God says. Now, I divert. No, I'll hold that thought. So this is sort of what David was talking about last week. It's a very well-known passage. We use it a lot in preaching the apostolic message all around uh, the world. Now, he was emphasizing the fact that, yes, there's gifting given to fivefold ministers. That's a specific calling. But generally, the anointing comes upon all people. And it explains very clearly here that the responsibility and the ministry of the fivefold ministry to equip the saints for the purpose of service. Opposed to being the servant of the people and, you know, he should mow the yard and he should clean the church and he should do all these things. Now, we've gone a long way from that, okay. But if you read on, the, the ultimate purpose of this, if you look at the very last statement, to become mature, attaining the fullness of Christ. Now, one of my arguments always is, is there anyone here yet who's got there? See, it doesn't matter basically how old you are, how long you've been on that journey, how much you've learnt, this still lies before us. This is... Even Paul, remember in uh, Philippians, he said, having not yet attained, I press on towards the goal, forgetting what's behind. The devil will spend most of his time trying to remind you of your failures of the past. And if you focus on that, then you will not be focusing on where you're supposed to go and ultimately have any chance of reaching that because if we're so consumed by the negativity of the things we failed at, and once again, no one here 
has had a life of no failure, one way or another. So here I refer to Joshua's communion message and actually the Apostle Paul and Peter and James all basically said that if you want to be mature you've got to suffer. Go and read it. It's a process. Suffering brings about a challenge to grow and mature and overcome. Read James in particular, James chapter 1. And he says, count it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you suffer trials of many kinds, because this will produce. Now, we're all the same. We like the easy life, right? Who likes a smorgasbord? Oh, Mitch is first up. Now the thing about smorgasbords is you can cruise around. You can go and look at what's up that end. Cruise back. Oh, there's olives and anchovies. <laughs> but some people will like the olives and anchovies and they'll get into that. And yes, I know Noel. Noel likes all that weird stuff. <laughs> But the thing about a smorgasbord is we pick and choose. Isn't it true? Now when we have suppers here or a special dinner, <coughs> it's easy to see what people gravitate towards. Some plates completely empty, even licking the last morsel off that plate. And then that particular dish with the broccoli and cauliflower dip, I bet you didn't see one child take any of that. And I don't blame them. Oh, sweets. Now, everyone doesn't have a sweet tooth, but I noticed usually at the suppers, those sweets are gone quick smart, you know. And if you have a particular craving for a particular type, then they go really quickly. Now what's the point? <clears throat> when we pick and choose, we don't always pick and choose what's good for us, do we? And so, you know, some people might have certain health issues, but then when those morsels are laid out on that table before them, suddenly the wisdom of what to eat and what not to eat disappears. And they partake perhaps of things that they then suffer for. Now it's true, isn't it? Come on. Because I've heard people tell me, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that. I knew that was going to happen. Oh, but I just couldn't resist. There's a few heads nodding. It's true. Now what's the smorgasbord got to do with spiritual growth and maturity? Here's the problem, folks. <clears throat> Paul addressed this, and David was talking last week about the early church and how it wasn't that perfection that we perhaps reflect on, 
but all the letters are full generally of instruction with regard to correction and often very strong rebuke. And Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, really took them to task. And basically said that you are behaving like babies. I can't even give you proper food. I have to still basically feed you milk. And he attacked something that is still very prevalent in Christendom. And if you read chapters 1 through chapters 3 of 1 Corinthians, you'll find that he addressed the issue of disunity, disagreement, jealousy, infighting. Being a child and remaining a child physically is unacceptable. It's true, isn't it? Come on, parents. Your children, you expect them to grow. You expect them to grow physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. But Paul was finding that these people who in the early part of his letter says lacked no spiritual gift. They could prophesy, they could heal the sick, they could do all this stuff, but he still addressed them as babies. Because it's not a sign of maturity. Now, <clears throat> what I want to share with you today is some actual instructions that result in a positioning for you to grow and mature. The problem with the smorgasbord approach is that when people read the Bible, they do the same thing. They use the, oh, I'll take that one, that sounds good. Suffering one, no thank you, we'll leave that over there. It doesn't work. Let me tell you right now, it won't work. Now Jesus, I might be jumping the gun here a little bit, but this is a very simple statement. Submit yourself then to God. What does submit mean? Submit means to come under. It means to be subject to. So therefore, if God, if you, if you believe God is God and you believe that the word of God is his word, then when you read something that tells you something, submission is saying, yes, I believe, I accept. And wh what is the blessing? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Not might, will, because you've positioned yourself under the authority and under the word of God. 
Now you might say, well, this doesn't sort of match up with uh, blessing and suffering. But if, if you detach the whole of the word of God and just take these bits and pieces, you, you've got to take the whole counsel of God. And you might recall that when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness and the devil came, Jesus said to him, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word. So the minute you start smorgasbording in the scripture, you have lost connection. <laughs> Just hold that thought. Looking for pieces I make. What did you do with it? So, when we position ourselves, then we come under the protection and the blessing of God. You've got it, I haven't. Sorry, intermission. But hold that thought in terms of the Word of God has so much to say about so many things. And David was basically talking about when you mature, like take some practical examples for instance. When you start sending your children to school, nowadays they're starting when they're about four years old and they learn very basic elementary things. You don't expect them to come home the next day and be able to do you know, fractions and calculus and you, you don't expect that. But by year 10, you're expecting that there's been some sort of progress in their education that they can then do these things. So God isn't sitting in heaven and looking down and saying, well, you should be mature by now. But it should be evidence of a progression of growing and maturing. And what is the evidence of that? The evidence is what sort of victories you have, what sort of witness you have in your mouth, confession, what you do in the midst of difficulties. Now, do we instantaneously become these powerhouse Christians? Thank you, Jonathan. No, we don't. But what this should be is evidence of progression. <clears throat> Just go back to make sure I'm in the right place. When something goes wrong, where does your mind go? 
This is a big one. Where does your mind go? Uh, let me take something that's not too offensive, I hope. It's raining. In the last few days, I have heard numerous people complaining about the rain. Honestly, I said to someone, well, if it's not rain, there's no water. If there's no water, there's nothing to drink. If there's no water, there's no crops. If there's no crops, there's no food. Maybe you should go and live in the middle of Africa somewhere where they've been in drought for like forever and there's no food. Rain is a blessing. Oh, it's raining again. And I mean, we're talking to Queensland here. It's not as if we... How many days does it rain in Queensland? And this year's been a bit wetter. So, oh, it's raining again. Grumbling. There's an evidence of lack of maturity right there. And our mind goes to our own selfish, I can't have my barbecue, I can't play sport, I can't do this. Lord, thank you for the rain. It's refreshing the land, it's filling. I'm not talking about floods. So, the writer of the Hebrews, he tells us about our mind and our eyes. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts. Now, what I have learned about people is that I cannot make them think anything. Over the years, people have come and talked to me about things in their life, issues in their life. What can I do? Well, think like this. I remember one case in particular, I was talking, and we'll come to this passage later. I was saying, this is what you can actually do to fix the problem you've got right now. This is what you can do. You know, a couple of days later, they phoned me and said, oh, oh. I said, what do you want me to do? I, I can't fix your mind for you. I can't get inside there and drag your thoughts away from the negative onto the positive. So this, this is a personal thing. I fix my thoughts. On what? On Jesus. Now, this all comes back then to what do you believe about Jesus? Is he our Lord? Is he our Savior? Is he above all things? Has he done all these things for us? And, and then when we do that, again, we're positioning ourselves. Uh, so that is chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 12 tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, over the years I've pondered that, like, fix your thoughts, yeah, you can, what, what about your eyes? Well, the, the problem is your eyes are actually the window of the soul. And so what, what are you going to look at? Are you looking at the problem? I, I think there's two separate things here. If you can get your eyes off the problem, then you can control your thoughts. But if you're so focused on uh, what's something that might apply to all this, fuel prices. Oh, that one touches us all, doesn't it? Except for those who've got push bikes, Mitch, you're all right. Yeah, leave the car in the garage, ride your bike. See, there's a solution for everything. 
I don't know, I could tow the van with a push bike, no? <laughs> yeah, we'll get a, a tandem. We'll get that help. Anyway. So if, you get, if you're going to... There was actually a meme popped up on Facebook. The guy standing at the, the Bowser. And the guy said, oh, can I help you? He said, no, I'm just looking. <laughs> and then there's another one. <clears throat> you know, the first picture is in 2021, guy wearing the mask. 2022, he's got it over his eyes. You know, if you sit there looking, oh, fuel prices are going up, how am I going to afford it? Or you just go and fill up the car and keep driving. Did, did you take any notes of the last song you sung? No, I mean notice. I don't mean just sung the words. You take any notice of the words, Jehovah Jireh. What does it mean? He's your provider. But Je Jehovah Jireh is also Jehovah El Shaddai. And do you know what that means? The God of more than enough. So what, what has to happen is you, you have to deliberately take yourself out of the physical and move into the spiritual. What does God say about something? Now for a lot of people it seems a big struggle because, well, this is going on. Is this denial? If I just ignore this, am, am I just denying the reality of life and what's happening? Or... The way I try to do it is, okay, that's an acknowledgement of the physical and the reality of what's happening, but is God bigger? Is God greater? Has, is there a word that he says that counteracts the physical? And look, if you've read your Bible, how many times did God suddenly act? Moses stand at the Red Sea, oh dear. Two million people piling up behind you to go across. How are we going to get across here? Carts laden with all sorts of stuff. Problem. Immediate. Nowhere to go. The enemy coming up behind you to slaughter you. Oh, what a great position to be in physically. God provides a way. We used to sing that song. God provides a way where there is no way. What? Something like that. Anyone remember that oldie? That's older still, Jacob. It's an old one. But see, once again, the fixing of thoughts and fixing of our eyes is a deliberate action in the midst of the circumstance. Do you understand that? God doesn't remove the circumstance. It's where we choose to then look and think. Okay, God, what do you say about this? What can I do about this? Uh, if you're anything like me, usually you... First, gravitate to your own thinking of how can I fix the problem. You like that? I mean, that's natural. It's, okay, God's given me a brain. I should be able to work things out. But if, if you go into the supernatural, then you've got to be thinking, well, what did God say? How can I apply that? <clears throat> now, early in the year, there was quite some preaching about this. Do not judge. and you will not be judged. So you could reword that a little bit. Judge and you will be judged. 
Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. Now, for with the measure you use, and this is going to lead to another position for blessing, it will be measured to you. Now, a lot of preaching over the years took this last statement to the giving. But you've got to put it in context for the whole statement. Jesus was talking about, if you judge, well, with that measure of judgment, you'll be judged. If you condemn, well, with that measure, you'll be condemned. If you forgive. But see, forgiveness is one of those things, it seems such a struggle for humans. And yet, even things like the Lord's Prayer, when we are praying to God, Father, forgive us as we forgive others. Do we, do we think about that? Because what I've noticed is that we justify why we do things wrong. Yeah, but they did this or they did that or they did the other. And, you know, Gordon Peterson in this statement that Joshua read out in the cross, he was a perfect man. He, he did nothing wrong. And he's hung upon that cross, the most painful death. And what does he say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now stop for a minute. Fix your eyes on Jesus. <laughs> There's the example. This is where you're supposed to look. If, if, if you're wanting that grace of forgiveness, you've got to look to Christ. You, you can't just conjure it up from a, a personal decision. Oh, I'm going to do this. No, Lord, I, I need that grace. I need your help. So, you know, this last part sounds like the potential for great blessing to be poured out into our laps. But we've got to think about the measure we use. See, in, in this passage, there is warning. And, and I want to make just an analogy here. I've often heard people over the years say, oh, the Bible's full of don't do's. Don't do this and don't do that and don't do the other. And, and I heard someone say once, if we focused on the do's, we wouldn't have time for the don'ts. Did you hear that? Because there's a lot of do's in there. Now, many of us have children. And when children are little, they need the parents' discipline and correction. Some need a little bit more direction and convincing of doing the right thing than others. But parents, when you tell your child not to play on the road, is it to spoil their fun? Parents, are you there? Yeah. <laughs> You tell them, don't play on the road because they haven't done physics yet. 
and they don't understand that a vehicle travelling at 60 kilometres an hour that weighs 1.5 tonne, when it hits a child that weighs 30 kilos, is not an equal, sorry? It's going to make a, a nasty mess and probably death of the child. So it's actually the love of the parent that is trying to protect the child from what the child doesn't know. Does that make sense? So when God tells us something, as our Father in heaven, and one who is eternal and knows all things, he tells us because he's trying to protect us from what we don't know or understand. Now, do you understand that? So, when we read these instructions, we've got to realize that when he says, do not judge, there's a consequence if you judge. So to me, these are blessing scriptures because it's warning you what not to do. It's positioning you so these things won't befall you. Okay, I use that to jump into this one. Because often when people get saved, and even sometimes when people have grown up in the church, this thing they do not like. They do not like anyone talking about money. Now they'll talk about money all week. You know, how much the groceries cost, how much the fuel cost, how much money, 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 money. But if someone stands up here and talks about money, suddenly it's, well, you're talking about money. Well, because if you want to be really blessed, you need to understand some things about money. Firstly, as Christians, everything we have has come from God, either indirectly or directly. Oh, I worked hard for that. Well, God probably gave you the health and strength to go to work and gave you a job and, you know, like again, you've got to think, where's these things coming from? Again, if you think it's all up to your own wonderful self, there's a problem with that because it's contrary to what God says. I read an interesting statement once about pride and humility. You know, and there's several scriptures talk about this. God resists the proud but gives, gives grace to the humble. And, and John's often talked about what the real meaning of grace is. Grace is power. Grace is an anointing. Now, for how are you saved? You're saved by grace through faith. So grace is something that's given by God. It's, it's a power. It's an anointing to do something you cannot do. <clears throat> so if you think you can do things by yourself, what immediately happens is you step into pride. And we don't always understand these things because it doesn't necessarily feel or look like pride, but the reality is if I separate myself from the counsel of God, I'm saying, God, I know better than you. I'm my own man, I can do this, I can do that, I don't need your counsel. Very dangerous place to be because then God just withdraws his hand. Okay, you can do it, off you go. Not, not a good place. So with the tithe, I mean, I'm not nitpicking here, but 
When I pray about the tithe, I use certain terminology. Because the tithe belongs to God. I'm not giving him anything. So I talk about returning the tithe. I'm acknowledging that it's his. Now, if you read this passage, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, I'm not here to tell you what to do with your money. All I'm going to tell you is what the Word of God says. And then it's between you and him. And it's the same with anything that I've said from Scripture. It's between you and him. You know, you're not going to be accountable to me whether you brought the whole tithe in or you just... It's just what defines the tithe. So let me give you an example. I was talking to some of my children some years ago. Because it will often come up when they get a job, you know, well, now what's the tithe? What should I do? I said, well, this is my position. Usually when you get your pay, the government's already taken their portion. They didn't ask. They didn't say, bring the whole tax into the government treasury. They just took their 15, 20, 25 percent, didn't they? Now we do grumble and complain about that, but then again, uh, you wouldn't have any hospitals or roads or schools or anything like that. And if you go to a country that doesn't have taxes, you soon find out what a mess the country's in without taxes. So what is the whole tithe? My position? Okay. You have your own position. Is God higher and more important than the tax office? In my opinion, yes, he is. Therefore, he is going to get his portion, in my mind, before taxation. Is that making sense? Maybe you don't like it, but I'm still telling you. My position is God first. So, gross, there it goes. I don't look at the after-tax line. I look straight at what is it. That's what I consider to be the whole tithe. And what does the scripture say? That there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Only place in scripture you're allowed to test God. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing. Maybe we should have done the blessing thing at the start. Put your hand up for blessing. Well, here it says, so much blessing. How much blessing do you want? It says there will not be enough room to store it. So here you've stepped into a supernatural realm that defies explanation humanly. And Judy and I have over the years experienced that sort of blessing and it's undefinable in human terms. You can't explain to people how the money went that far or you were able to do everything. It's, it's supernatural. And I often use the analogy of Peter getting out of the boat. How many guys were in the boat? All the disciples were in the boat. Only one walked on water. Why did he walk on water? He got out the boat. 
Or the others might have wanted to walk on water, but they didn't get out the boat. If you want to live in a supernatural realm with that sort of blessing, get out the boat. God said, test me. See if you can walk on water. <clears throat> and then it goes on and talks about protection and all that type of thing. It's a blessing. This particular passage talks about holy living. And there are numerous passages in the New Testament where uh, the apostles write and, and talk about how to live a holy life. Now it seems nowadays, uh, and I mean, if you look back at the early church, there was a lot of debauchery. It, you know, when you go back in time, things were pretty wild. <clears throat> and sometimes we look at modern day and we say, well, it's a mess. But these things are still applicable today. Because what are we dealing with? We're dealing with human flesh. We're dealing with, you know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, same types of things. And, and basically, everyone is challenged with these, these things. And maybe for some people at another level now because of the internet and uh, everyone having a phone and basically no protection on those things and people willingly using them to promote all sorts of evil. But again, it, it's this choice. Am I, am I going to live like this? And so, you know, Paul says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So again, there's this, uh, am I going to drag my mind over here and think about God, think about Christ, think about what he says is good. Now again, here it says, put to death. Uh, sometimes Paul uses terminology like clothe yourself. What do you notice about this? Again, it's something we have to do. I have to put to death those desires. I have to clothe myself. No one else is going to do it for you. So, so what I want to connect this to discipleship with is, often discipleship has been a thing where uh, we run a class, maybe over a certain number of weeks, and we study some Bible passages. And yeah, that's, that's good, and it's healthy, and it's good for us. But if you look back at the first church, or even before the first church with Jesus, what did he do? He said, come, follow me. Right? Come. So there's a process whereby, what is your desire? Do you desire that maturity uh, that the scripture talks about, the, the fullness of Christ? Do, do you desire that? Therefore, there needs to be a personal pursuing of it. I, I was thinking uh, when I was preparing some of this, uh, Carolyn's not here but she's my youngest sister and when she was a baby sometimes I got to feed her and you know she's past the you know the, the milk stage but still at the spoon fed stage. It's fun feeding a baby with a spoon isn't it? You know, you get that little bit and you try to put it in their mouth and 
And sometimes it gets sprayed back at you. It's like you can't even make that baby eat that teaspoonful of food. You can't, you know, you can't make it. <laughs> and there was one particular, mum used to buy these little tins of baby food and there's one I really liked because I had to test it to see if it was warm enough. And it's the only way I found out about this. But I tasted it, I thought, that's really good. What's the matter with her? So I'd try it. I said, look, mm, it's really nice. Mm, didn't work. So I ended up eating the whole tin. <laughs> look what a good girl Carolyn is. Anyway, just the analogy. Get back to the analogy, not the joke part. You, if I wanted to get hold of one of you and say, I want to disciple you, I can't make you eat. I can't make you grow. I can't create hunger in you. I can't do it. You've got to have a desire to be fed, a desire to grow, a desire to pursue. This is an interesting one. I remember I did an apprenticeship as a fitter and turner many decades ago. And there came a stage when our company was so busy, we, we were selling uh, cane harvesters internationally. And basically, we ended up working like a 24 hour shift. It wasn't quite, there was a bit of a gap in between the shifts. but. They couldn't get enough workers and they, they went down south and they recruited all these uh, machinists and guys. I was a qualified fitter and turner. And so if they work permanent night shift, they got a 33% loading. And at that stage, we were also working two hours overtime every day. So it's a 10 hour day. And so I remember this particular occasion, there was a guy working night shift opposite me and this particular item that we were machining, I could do, depending on tool breakage, I could produce somewhere between 16 and 20 in a 10 hour shift. And I come into work this morning and he's done four. Four. So that's 25% of my worst effort. And I'm thinking, this is not right. He's getting 33% more for working night shift and he's doing quarter of the work. Yes, I was grumpy. Now I was probably only early 20s. But sometime later I was reading this passage in Colossians. Now just a reminder that Paul was actually writing this about slaves, right? Slaves. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then a little bit later he says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Now, you might have a bad employer, but he's not, he's not your slave master. 
He's under your employer and you're getting paid. Paul's writing to people who weren't getting paid. They were slaves. And he was telling them, you do this unto the Lord. But I hear people all the time complaining about their bosses. Complaining about, <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do? See, this is a thing of the mind again. You've got to fix your thoughts on God said that I'm to do this work unto the Lord. Therefore, you'll do excellence unto the Lord. You won't be shriek, what's the word? Shirking. You won't be shirking your responsibility and say, well, they don't work as hard as me, so I'm not going to. No. This is under the Lord. And, and so it changes your attitude. Because now you're working for the King of Kings, not this guy. <clears throat> okay. Here's my closing advice. It's important for us to read God's Word. But I think over the years I have mentioned several times that I used to read the Word of God out of an obligation. Now, Christians should read the Word, so I read the Word. It wasn't until I come to this sort of realization, I've got to know what God says about things and, and be looking for that. So yes, you've got to read it, but read it with the right heart and the right motive to start with. Look for instruction, because in those days, I've got to read a chapter. I read a chapter, but often by the time I got to the end of the chapter, I had no clue what I just read. No, read it looking for the instruction of God. Maybe hardest of all, embrace what it says, because more than likely, somewhere along the line, you'll be rebuked by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. Because it's truth, and it will penetrate. It will go into your soul, and it will challenge things within you that perhaps aren't quite in line. <clears throat> and as I said before, ask the Holy Spirit for help. Because if you're going to have to change something, you're going to need grace. I mean, you can put in your own effort, and sometimes you might succeed, but really, in the end, we're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit to overcome and to maintain. So, let's pray. Now, invite the worship team back. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I believe it is truth and it is life to us. And Lord, I thank you that you are so patient with us as a true father. And Lord, you, you desire good for us. You want us to be protected and blessed. Lord, I just pray that as I've sown some of these seeds, Lord, that they'll find fertile hearts. And Lord, we just acknowledge our need of you every day. Lord, our days are filled with many different things, family things, work things, all sorts of things that can easily take our time and our attention and distract us. But Lord, we do want you to be in the midst of all these things. We want your counsel to rest upon us. And we want your blessing. And so Lord, I, I ask now that your mighty hand would rest upon these people. Lord, as we go from here, 
We ask your spirit would go with us and your counsel would abide with us. And Lord, we give you all the praise, all the glory and all the honour. Amen.